0: Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School. Here, you'll get fresh insight from the people at the very top of the tech companies who make the products we love. Remember, you can learn product management live online. Visit productschool.com to discover our new certificate path. There, you can also join the world's largest community of PMs and network with the leaders from these podcasts at our online events. There's something happening almost every day. Hey everyone, my name is Carlos. I'm the founder and CEO of Product School. And today I am with the VP of Product at Figma, which is one of my favorite products of all time, uh, Yuki Yamashita. Hey, Yuki. Hi, Carlos. How's it going? Thank you for joining the show. You have no idea how many product people have requested to have Figma.
1: That's really awesome to hear. Thank you for having me.
0: So I can't wait to dig on into your personal story on how you broke into product, how you're thinking about the future of product and how, you know, all of this trend of tools can empower more product people to create stuff. So let's start from the beginning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into product?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking a little bit about that. And I think uh, I really got started in publication design a long time ago, uh, mostly in school. And you know, um, I was doing yearbooks, magazines, newspapers. I think probably one of the uh, most formative experiences was doing the, being the designer on the newspaper for uh, the our college newspaper, and just being there, kind of every night at the very end when everyone has written articles and trying to fit everything on you know on a piece of paper and doing lots of layouts and visualizations and things like that. So I think like a lot of my background has been in that design area. Um, and then simultaneously you know in college started, started learning about computer science and started to see the intersection of computer science and design in the form of product so whether it's just projects that we uh, was doing or you know things side projects i was working on that's when i kind of started to really stumble upon this discipline of product management that was trying to you know think about the user think about product design you know think about shipping things and learning um and that's kind of how, you know, yeah, I stumbled upon the discipline and out of college, I uh, applied to Microsoft, got rejected once, um, but uh, on my second time round, uh, I got an offer and that's how I got started uh, in product management.
0: Well, they're probably pin out their hairs right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I will. so. And then why, why Figma? Like, uh, what's the backstory, right? Because at some point you have different yeah. options. Like, right? what was the backstory from like meeting the founder and deciding to join the team when it was pretty much an idea?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, a number of years back, I was at Uber. This, that was where I was previous to Figma. And uh, I was working on a big redesign of our app for drivers. Um, and as part of that, we were experimenting with different products and we found Figma. Um, and we thought it'd be a great way to just keep everyone in the loop of what's happening and the latest designs and things like that. And, um, yeah, know, we really loved the product. We got to see it spread within the, uh, the company and also transform the product development culture at Uber. So by the time kind of Figma reached out to me, um, I was already really sold on the product. And personally, I really just love how it's blurring the boundary between product design and all these other functions and just bringing so many more people into the design process. And that was something that I could really get behind. So that was what excited me about joining.
0: So I want to double click on on the last part that you said about um, non-designers using your product, because yeah. I think that's really powerful. When I started my career, as I, also, I also come from a computer science background, I you know anything about design and, mm-hmm. and opening Photoshop was very intimidating to me (laughs) so now this opportunity for for non-designers to really be powerful enough with this type of visual tool so tell me more about the different user personas that you see using Figma and uh, what are some of the main use cases
1: yeah yeah. well I mean especially for the non-designer I would say kind of the primary use case is that people can think of is you know a designer and engineer working together for example and an engineer kind of um giving feedback on certain parts of the design, or they're trying to implement the design, and there's just a lot of things that are maybe underspecified, or maybe in code as they're building something, they realize that they actually need to tweak the designs because it's not quite working. And that back and forth is probably one of the most common use cases um, as, you know, designers and engineers are working together. Um, but you know, even earlier than that, I think, you know, designers, engineers, PMs, just iterating on a bunch of different designs, uh, trying a few things out, prototyping, putting it in front of users, all these are all things that um Figma enables. And the whole idea is that, you know, it's all kind of done done in an open. You know, when you're opening up a file, it's a source of truth. So there isn't confusion around is this V1, V2? Um, and so that's, you know, those are some of the use cases. Um But, you know, I think more and more we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing some of these use cases go from people just leaving comments and having conversations to actually people getting into the designs, maybe kind of duplicating the design and putting it on the side and kind of riffing on top of it. And that's one way to give feedback to be like, oh, how about a design that looks like this? And that's something that we see a lot of uh, non-designers starting to do, which is nice.
0: We always we, we define product management as the intersection with different groups. Engineering, design, business are are key ones. So in your own experience, how have you seen that relationship between product and design evolve over time?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I've always been one to be pretty resistant to a very hard line between them. You know, oftentimes, depending on their skill sets, they they have very kind of overlapping skill sets and responsibilities. And I think over time what we're seeing is a lot of convergence. And this is not just product design, it's also with engineering. Um, you know I think all the kind of skills and capabilities are being de obfuscated meaning you know everyone can participate. People can know, know a little bit of code or engineers know a little bit of design or designers know a little bit of how to do you know frame a problem like a PM. So that's kind of i think the world we're we're getting towards where things are starting to overlap a little bit versus you know a world where it was very specialized and full of just like handoffs and i think that's really important because that's what allows us to move really fast Um, but it can be really confusing too because you know it means that you know responsibilities are a little bit more blurred and i think for me what's important is to kind of lean into that and maybe you have like a framework that says that a product manager is accountable for getting something done but they might not be the people who do it so for example a user story we all know you have to write a user story but you know maybe it's a designer maybe it's a pm it doesn't matter but you know making sure that you know who's accountable for making sure it gets done that's kind of how i i start to think about it
0: yeah i mean this this whole field is evolving so much there are a lot of questions about what is product management what is product design why do we need product So, uh, in general, what are some of those myths and misconceptions that you hear?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think the biggest misconception I think that I've heard is just this idea that it's a really clean, linear process. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, you read about this a bunch, like maybe it's a double diamond process or, you know, anything out there. Uh, where there are these discrete steps where you kind of go along this journey of getting a product developed. Um, And I think that, you know, the reality is it's actually not linear. So for example, I'll give you two examples. One is kind of like um, design principles. Um, You know, there's this idea that maybe you can kind of like define design principles first and then design the thing. Um, And that way you can kind of like make sure you're kind of following your principles as you design. But I think anyone who's gone through that process knows that actually only until you start designing do you realize if these principles are even useful for helping make de- making decisions that you go back and actually change some of your principles after the fact. Or similarly, you know, I think like there's a really good practice of saying kind of like, let's define the problem first, right? And then actually figure out the solution, which is the right thing to do. But actually in reality, a lot of people come up with a solution or idea first. And then like you kind of back out of that and figure out what the problem might be. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of, that is the process always kind of works like that. And I think you just have to lean into that uh, versus think that it's the wrong way to do things.
0: That's a good point, right? Because there's so many books and frameworks and they're only as good as, as how you actually use them and your team believes in them. So uh, when people come to us asking about what type of agile methodology should we follow? Should we do Scrum or Kanban? Like yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe none of them. Maybe it's your own, right? Like maybe it's more yeah. about understanding the principles that are important for your company. I've seen companies that use different methodologies depending on their group. Right,
1: right, for sure.
0: So, in in your own experience, you obviously broke into product. You talked about your passion for publishing, uh, literally physical yeah. newspapers and content, yeah. and then yeah. your passion for for engineering. I, I guess that helped you kind of break into product, but then. How does someone go from product manager all the way up to VP of product? What are some of the skills that serve you well?
1: Yeah, I think that um, I think of two really important skills um, that I think are important for any product manager. Um, one is storytelling, um, and the other is this framework thinking. And so for storytelling, um, it's kind of like, you know whatever you're really trying to do, whether it's internally or externally, what you're trying to do is tell a story Um, and you're trying to tell a story about how a problem is now easier to, you know, has been addressed through this particular solution. And internally you might have to motivate why the problem is the most important thing to work on in the first place. And then also motivate why this particular solution is the best solution. And when people kind of like understand that story, then it really unlocks them to just go and, you know, uh, uh, contribute to it and do their best work. Um, and for users too, when you're launching a bunch of features, if they don't fit into a story, it's hard for them to know where you're headed. And oftentimes, you know, um, I think even in the product management discipline, we always talk about kind of like why it's important not to just talk about features and features aren't the only currency. And the reason people choose you as a product isn't just because of the features you have, but because they believe in the direction you're taking and the philosophy you have. And if you can't tell a story around it, you know, you have no idea where this product could be going, and whether you really want to invest in it. So that's kind of like number one in terms of storytelling, both externally for your customer, but internally to motivate your teams and to really rally them. And then I think the second one is framework thinking. Um, I think you know, I I think back to kind of like some classes like linguistics that help me kind of understand this, where you know, at the end of the day, uh, there is so much that's kind of like. Um, you know, a lot of what you have to do as a product manager is to create a lens for looking at a problem. Um, And it's kind of like words, right? Like words are trying to just discretize this like infinite space into like, you know, a discrete number of things, like a color spectrum becomes like a certain number of colors, or music turns into certain kind of music notes. And I think it's the kind of same for, you know, product problems, for example, where um, my favorite example I give is that Uber, when you know all the like like our ceo travis texted me all the time about all the problems he had with his pickup experience and it's so easy to just think that all these are just different different pickup problems and like pickups are broken but if you can provide a lens that like actually the pickup problem looks like this and there are six stages to it and this stage is the most critical because that's where like most of our business metrics are tied so we're going to focus on that instead of these other things so when next time someone like travis complains about a pickup they can be like oh like that is in this bucket which is not important right now and if you disagree with that great like let's talk about that but it gives people a way to think about kind of the problem so that you know you can organize how you you know how how your roadmaps are organized how you think
0: well the story you, you shared about travis reminds me of so many other stories I hear from CEOs, myself included, right? That we, most of us come from a product background. So we are very passionate and opinionated about yeah. our own yeah. products, right? And when the CEO has a problem, it's very easy to believe that that's the number one priority.
1: Yeah.
0: Or maybe because the CEO lives in I know, San Francisco, that is also a representation of many other CEOs or many other people, which is really hard to believe that that's the case. So how do you go about really prioritizing what do you think it's the right thing to do next?
1: Yeah, yeah. um I mean, it's you know it's it's always kind of an art, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think that it's it's really important for you to first feel like you have all the context necessary. and uh, you know some of it is your existing users who are telling you what they want. Some of it is your prospective users where you have to go and find them and see what they might need because they're not talking to you right now. Right. And some of it might be kind of these macro, macro climate economic or kind of like higher level things that are happening outside or in the industry that are affecting you. So that could be like competition or where a certain technology is going and like those things like, you, you know, combined are what you need to have context around or at least some assumptions around to really figure out kind of like what insights you want to actually operate on. And then, as it relates to kind of like specifically what to do next, um, I mean, that's just like a question of strategy, and you know, um, I think it's also a question of like goals and like what goals really matter. And so, for me, like it's always most um, important to kind of work through goals first. And um, you can sometimes often find that you know you might have four or five goals that you're trying to achieve, but if you do the work, oftentimes you can show how each goal ladders up to the other and that way you can better understand which one to really work on first because it's the one that has the capacity to change your business the most um but it's it's definitely a hard hard task
0: it is especially as your team grows where there are different product managers focused on different initiatives and sometimes the goal of a specific initiative may diminish
1: an an overarching goal yeah yeah for sure that that can happen and it's tricky
0: and and i can imagine now you're building a platform and there are so many different use cases. Right? Probably yeah. you can think of some, but I'm sure people would surprise you with like, oh, we're using Figma for this and that. I, I yeah. told you off camera, we, we've used Figma for creating birthday cards. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so how can you really create a platform to still empower people, surprise you, while making sure that that core user persona is still being satisfied with the, with the product?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question, and it's it's actually you know just like you, I yeah you know, I'm always surprised by all the use cases that people are using Figma for. People are doing kind of like their floor plans on Figma, or you know their resumes on Figma, and those aren't things that we necessarily we designed for. Um, I think that for us, it kind of starts with. Um, it still is important for us to have a good sense of what we think we're best at. And at least from our perspective, what we want to be definitively best at is designing user interfaces. So that's kind of like our focus. And anything that makes that faster is great. And if part, as part of that, we support, we start supporting other use cases. That's wonderful. And we definitely don't want to get in the way of that. Um, but we definitely have a laser focus around making sure that, you know, all the companies who are trying to build products and design products are getting the most they need. Um, and that's kind of how we think about it right now. And I think over time, we might have to start thinking a little bit, branching out a little bit more. Um, but uh, that's that's our exclusive focus right now.
0: And for your, for your product team, how do you empower them to make sure that they also feel heard, that they can contribute to Roadmap, and that they also have their own career path?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think that um, in terms of feeling heard, I mean, I think the most important thing for when you're building a team is making sure that, you know, with you have a relationship or a contract where it's really around goals. And so it's rather than saying, hey, go build this, it's go solve this problem, where success is measured by this. And that's this is what you'll, you know, you'll be held accountable to. And typically that's, you know, that's a lot of responsibility for that individual, but it's also empowering because then they can go decide whatever they need to do to achieve that goal. So I think like, that's the way I try to think about it um, instead of basically like making it really feel like they have to go build a very specific thing. Um, And in terms of career path, I think, you know, you know, especially kind of in a company where we're all growing, like the kind of hope is that, all, you know, we're growing so fast and that kind of just by growing with the company, there's just a lot of opportunities that open up. Um, And, you know, I think that's something that's happened, you know, I've just been the lucky recipient of many times in my career, whether Uber or Figma, where, you know, just because the product itself is growing and the surface area is getting bigger, like that itself is giving you a, a career path on its own.
0: Definitely. I mean, I can't imagine what it must be to be in this type of hyper growth mode, hiding, rearranging the org to try to, you know, keep up with all the demand and right. the different clients that you, that you get. So you personally, how did you, how did you learn to be a, a, a VP and a, and a people manager?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of times, you know, the inspiration comes from, you know, your peers or your forum managers. Um, and I think that you know that's probably where I I get most of you know my, my my source those are my sources for learning how to be a better manager, what they did well, what they did poorly and learning from that um, but I think you know I think it it definitely depends depends on 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 the team dynamics for sure and I think one of the things that you just have to be uh, conscious of uh, when you're leading an organization is, understanding all the ways in which um, you can make the team more effective and really picking the pieces that matter. So for example, maybe it is that right now process is what matters the most and that's where you need to focus. Or maybe it is right now that, you know, there's a particular part of the product area that's ambiguous and you need to dive into. And so I think it's just picking the right thing um, because, you know, this is no different in fact from just being an individual product manager where I actually really believe the product manager always just has to kind of like fill in the gaps, right? And um, and that's kind of like what I think I'm doing for the organization right now as well.
0: I'm curious to know how do you, how your day-to-day looks like? Is there any uh, framework or like break, breakdown that you can share between meetings, uh, work that you produce and other yeah. things you do?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, many, many, many of them, or much of my calendar is just Zoom meetings right now, for sure. Um, I think that there's there's things that uh, we think about. So obviously, you know, there's just one-on-ones and ways in which we are right now trying to um, uh, make up for the fact that we're not, we don't have kind of this serendipitous encounters in the office, right? And so making sure we spend a lot of time just, like, having, having uh, talking with each other about a bunch of random topics. So, like, one-on-ones are actually a really important part of, of of my uh uh, my calendar um i think at figma one of my favorite ones is design crits and so we have that three times a week for an hour and people bring what they're working on it's super generative everyone jumps into a figma file often it's a silent meeting where we're just kind of like going in and like into the file and um, riffing off of it so that's kind of like another thing Um, and then in terms of reviews you know we try to have different kinds of reviews sometimes you know you're reviewing um the problem statement other times you're reviewing the solution and you know those are kinds of ways in which you know we try to kind of create clarity around the purpose of the meeting but honestly a lot of it is meetings right now for me yeah
0: yeah i mean it's part of the job and uh, I'm, I'm curious about what you said uh, the design riffing so I, i've never seen it before how, how does it work and how do you make sure that the highest paid person in the room is not influencing that meeting too much
1: yeah <laughs> I mean, I think like, I think the silent crit is what makes it really work well. So for example, what we what we do is we open up a figma file, we have um, a bunch of post-its, uh, kind of virtual post-its on, uh, on the side, and people are just kind of like leaving post-its all throughout the design. And at the end we get together and talk through it. But, um, you know, this way a few things happen. One is, you know, everyone's contributing at once. So, you know, there's no notion of having to be called upon to give an opinion. Um, and then secondly, you're able to see what other people are saying and you can just kind of like latch onto to that. So you see a lot of like, oh, I agree or plus one or and those kinds of things. So you kind of like self-cluster. And I think it really is interesting just as a phenomenon because, you know, uh, oftentimes you, you don't have the opportunity to hear what everyone is thinking when, you know, it's just someone when it's all kind of like someone actually has to speak up because only one person can speak at a time.
0: That's so cool. Uh, one of my favorite questions in the podcast I always ask to other product leaders is, what's what's in their stack, right? Like, what are the tools that they or their teams use? And yeah. uh, I have to be honest, like, most of the product leaders that I've interviewed so far mention yeah. Figma. i was like, okay, I have to have you on the show. So now I ask you that question. Other than Figma, I guess you guys drink your own champagne, but what other tools are part of your stack?
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, other than, Figma, I mean, we try, definitely try to use Figma for a lot of things, like even all our presentations and slides are in Figma. And so, you know, that way, you know, we're dogfooding our own product um, and uh, we're making the product better that way as well. And, you know, that's kind of like the forcing function for PMs to be using Figma a lot as well, because, you know, we, PMs always make uh, decks, right? Um, I think another interesting tool that we use um, is Coda. And so Coda is a tool uh, that's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like spreadsheets meets docs. Um, and one of the things that I, I do is track our roadmap there. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a tool that lets you build a lot of different ways to look at the same roadmap and a lot of different ways for people to update the roadmap. So that you know we can always have one source of truth, but that's always the hardest part of any company in terms of process of figuring out what on earth is happening, what is like the latest status, um, and and keeping everyone aligned around it without kind of like a lot of dreadful process. So that's been an important part of our kind of tool chain.
0: I remember those days where the roadmap was a PDF file that nobody could access. So in reality, nobody really knew <laughs> what's going on. Now yeah. we see this this new trend of low-code or no-code visual tools that empower people to co-create. And I think that's a huge shift.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So I want to know if you were to start over again, the the younger Yuki, what would be the advice that you would give to yourself?
1: Um, I think that maybe in the early days, I really defined success as coming up with a cool idea yourself, you know? And like the good product manager has, a lot of interesting ideas and they're putting it forth and, you know, getting those implemented is what kind of being a good PM means. And I think, you know, over time, you kind of realize that it's not that and actually success is more if you enable your team to come up with those ideas and you're the one equipping them with the context or motivating them with the problem to do that. And I think it's really important for two reasons. One is just like, you know, as a PM, like you are, you know, hopefully you're being a force multiplier, and you're allowing a lot of diverse ideas to come to the table and like that already is important. Um, and another one is just, you know, actually better things get built when, you know, the people who are building feel like ownership over those ideas. And so, you know, if like an engineer on your team or a designer on your team come up with an idea and they get really excited about it, you get really excited for them. Um, you yeah, know that's when a lot of magic happens. And so I think, yeah, just shifting my mindset a little bit um, around just like the idea of you know who whose idea is it um and like not fixating on that um is probably what i would want to tell my younger self
0: it's been great to have you on the show thank you for your time is there anything else you would like to add
1: no um well, i mean i i first of all i enjoyed the chat um if people have one of the things that we want to do at figma is make the tool accessible to everyone not just designers and pms are big cohort of that so if there are things that you know, you can think of that uh, make it better or if there are problems that you're encountering uh, i'd definitely love to hear them
0: you just open up the floodgates
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay take care thank you so much all right thanks carlos
0: thank you for listening to the product podcast if you like this episode don't forget to leave a review on itunes for more product insights head over to productschool.com